0: Gosh, i I forgot I even had that in my pack.
1: That's the craziest part, man.
0: Uh, if Joe flecked my ear, I'd probably can't come in the fourth All right, so I got uh, Cody Greenwood with the uh, Trad Lab on the mic here. What's going on, Cody? Not much. Good morning. Good morning. Uh how uh What's the weather like? Has it improved any since I've been there? Is it still like yeah, basketball? Yeah,
1: no, it's, it, we're having a really cool week this week. So this is when you, when you live here and it drops to the high eighties or mid eighties, you run outside and get all your chores done. So I have, I have a fence to put up and got to fix some mower this week. Oh dang. It's not quite, not, not a hundred percent humidity today.
0: <laughs> oh Lord. So for, uh, for those who don't know, I've had Cody on the podcast before we have, but, uh, Uh, Cody uh, Greenwood has uh, a website, YouTube page called The the Trad Lab, and that is where he kind of does a lot of dissecting of different, oh, keep it simple, like, say, different vein configurations, different broadheads, talks about different bows, string silencers, quivers. And uh, what he does is kind of takes the bro science out of it and and puts it in a lab uh, and gets the the lab results, um, you know, and meaning... Uh, last night, it was funnier than hell, because he, he texts me frequently, and I, I get a kick out of him, because sometimes he'll test something, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I figured, and then other times, like the last one you texted me and went, shit. And the, the last, <laughs> that, that,
1: that, was, that was my gender reaction. I'm like, oh, my God, I think this is the result. Yeah. Rome's burning.
0: Oh, yeah, well, that the same thing. I'm like, well, run it through the third time and see what it changes. Like, that's where you really, you know what I mean? Like, right, you can dissect, right. but um, so it's, it's kind of handy cause he and I bounce a lot of stuff off of each other. Mine's not as much, uh, obviously in the lab, mine's more in the field, but we genu- genuinely or generally, uh, pretty much marry up side by side with our, with our findings. Um, I don't think there's anything, any too. We've been too far off on, I don't think. Uh, yeah.
1: no, I, I don't think so. I mean, we're, uh, that, that either means that you're doing too much repetition or all of this equipment I have is worthless.
0: we're both lining up on the same thing yeah and uh and it's it's not anything we plan a lot of times it's just like oh yeah i tested that and then we'll talk about it or whatever so i had quite a bit of questions on several different things recently one uh low-end medium range and high-end bows um what are the differences to expect and what should when should somebody pony up for a high-end one things like that uh next one um you the, the oh well, big one, the Bob Lee cause I started shooting that Shikari. Uh, how's that shooting? How's that stacking up that kind of thing uh tuning we won't cover a ton of tuning today because uh Cody and I are gonna do um uh, are you are, it's on your the trad lab page. is it gonna be the how, how are you addressing that? Is that a single string or a trad lab thing?
1: No, everything is gonna go to the trad lab gotcha. and I'm gonna eventually move everything just into YouTube because I think it just translates better whenever there's some, some verbiage and video around the graphs.
0: Gotcha. So we're going to do a lot more in depth, kind of a, I would say Bible Mecca tuning, uh, video where we can really dissect where people can go to and not ask the question. They can go learn the answer. They're big difference. Um, uh, so we don't want to touch too much on tuning and then, uh, a little bit on broadheads. Uh, we get a lot of questions on that. Um, I had, uh, Uh, Colton Gilman on and you did as well and Colton's this wiki guy and talks a lot of shit about expensive broadheads um, what the difference is where's the difference at that kind of stuff Uh, Cody you're just kind of diving into that on the the on the on the in-depth testing portion of it right now where you actually have it on a machine telling you the 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 pounds for penetration correct
1: right yeah I spent last year doing a lot of edge retention and um, now I'm moving all of those different edges on different designs through different media. And so I'm basically taking everything out of the package and testing it. Then I'm replicating all of my tests when I bring everything to a standard level of sharpness. And I can measure that obviously with this equipment. And then I take everything to its max level of sharpness and run it through the exact same testing again to isolate edge and edge quality, since that seems to be the cost differentiator on some of these. But uh, I think a lot of my theories are going to be wrong. So based on last night, I, we're going to, we're going to see what happens here, but it's going to be a very interesting analysis and yeah. there's no sponsors in it. Nobody's paying me to, to throw the results out uh, or, or modify them. And the, the product is just going to speak for themselves.
0: And and that is one good thing with, with Cody, uh, the, 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 sponsorship thing, or he just uses what he wants and talks about him. He has the freedom to, you know, to do that. And I, and I have a lot of freedom with that as well. And, uh, that does get. Uh, now Cody has pissed a lot of people off. Maybe not quite going about things as subtle as he maybe could have, but he's not lying, and that's one thing I try to, um, you know, let people know is like, hey, this is what he found. Like, no reason to get alarmed over it. Like, if you got a Kafaru pack and said, well, the Kafaru pack is, uh, you know, fourteen point seven percent heavier than the, uh, you know, whatever competition uh, or or some of the competition which is actually somewhat true, I can't get mad at that. Now, if you jump on and say this thing's a heavy piece of shit, now that's a different story. Well, some things Cody tests truly probably do earn the title of this is a piece of shit. Um, I-, I would say, now that I'm not speaking for Cody, some of the things you've tested though, and I've seen the results and tested myself, is how on earth can this company keep selling people this? This isn't this isn't right. Um, would you... Do you want to chime in on that a little bit?
1: No, I, I do. And for me, I, I mean, my, this is what I do for a profession. Uh, it's investigative analytics and, and tied to quality. So I have to predict what's going to break down before it breaks down. And then I usually have to root, co- root cause quality issues. And I do that for a living. And I move it into trad and apply it. So for me, I mean, the way the economy works, if I give you money for a pack, the pack should be of greater value to me than the money. And as long as that exchange occurs, we're going to have a good economy. Whenever you start moving product that isn't worth more than the person's dollar, um, that, I, I take that as kind of an injustice because we're already ha- having a tough time keeping people in our sport. And uh, when they start with something that's difficult to learn with, they've dumped a lot of money and they just got to tap out and move. So um, it bothers me. And then it bothers me even more because marketing can beat facts. I've learned anything. I can have raw data in front of people. And fifteen pro shooters can come on and disagree with me and people will kind of go with the weighted mean average of opinion. So it's uh it's a tough world, but we're we're starting to break into it.
0: Yeah, so you know, kind of along with that as we're going through uh you know, we we're gonna talk about bows first and like high high, medium, low end kind of bows. A lot of this is um, scientific, and then there's a lot that's also personal preference, like anything, um, meaning uh, w- with a good, a good example, this, the Bob Lee, the first Bob Lee I got, uh, I hit nine inches left, bow shot great, but I couldn't hit the dot, How to modify the grip, totally different bow. You know, so if you if I borrow Cody's shoes and I put them on and say, "Man, these shoes suck because they're size ten and I wear a twelve, not really a fair assessment. so i we Cody and I both do a really good job at saying this is personal preference or this is this is fact, meaning this bow has a kind of a history of shooting knock high or difficult to tune. Uh, this bow is a smooth shooter, but it's generally slower than the rest. Uh, and then there's the man, I just don't have good luck with this bow. That's a personal preference thing, you know, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll decipher those things or we'll talk about it. Um, I try not to get too much personal preference stuff in there myself. I, don't, I try not to dive in with that, and when I do, I try, like I said, again, I try to, you know, let let that be known that it is a personal preference, not, not fact or scientific. Nothing to add, sir?
1: No, I, I was talking to him I for 15 minutes. I always have something to add. Um, the, what we're learning now in terms of personal preference with you here last weekend and moving you through that tiller harness and moving some of these folks in the clinic through, we're, I think we'll be able to quantify what those what will fit a broader group of people versus what those would not fit uh, a, a broader group of people. If I use the term a broader window of tune, right, I think as we start looking into – we print a bow design. and We find the bows that are on plane with uh, with the good tiller and aligned. Those are gonna those are gonna work well. But if you put a grip on that's the opposite of what you require, that that bow will feel bad for you, right? So trying to find a way for people to know what they need before they spend the money is going to add a lot of value.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well. And yeah. Let's dive into this because I, I think people are getting though getting the gist of it. So. uh, I, I've been getting this a lot, and I got it yesterday. I tagged you in it. You know, medium, you know, low, medium, high-end bows. What are what's going to be the differences? And I'm going to let Cody take this away here in a second. One thing I will say that sometimes there are no differences. Sometimes there's great differences, and that's kind of the sad thing of some people buying bows if they don't know. Um, there's not a whole lot of difference between a Sam Sage and an eight hundred about dollar wood bow that i've found samick sage is 189 bucks and they got a limb change out policy at most shops um right. so things like that you know and and i'll let cody take it from here and then i'm not going to dive in until we hit more of the medium and high-end bows um and, and the lower end stuff i usually just tell people to buy a samick sage but cody's gonna be able to tell you the actual difference in build quality somewhat in speed the limbs are the limbs worth it you know all that stuff so C- cody why don't you take it away
1: I'm starting at the low end because we filled this question quite a bit and it's because the majority of people in our community are new and uh, trying to find what works. So I'll start with wood on the low end, I guess, Aaron, and then move through ILF (coughs) when we get into the midpoint on the low end. um, And everybody says this, and it remains true that, you know, the same Sage is always a good entry level bow. There have been people that have won IBO championships with those bows. So it's, it's, it's reliable and it's built. Well, it's on material. It'd be very difficult to argue with that. There's an old mountain Mesa longbow for $200 that you can get from three rivers, which is a really good shooter. Um, and it's, it's right along the same lines, Uh, a little bit easier to look at for me in terms of aesthetics and it's, and it's fun to shoot. And that's, that's a $200 price point to get into a bow that quite frankly, I don't know how to quantify this unless we apply it to. A 300 round. so if i start saying things there and people aren't going to understand to stop me but i think that bow that 200 dollars price point bow, would carry you into like the 220 to 250 point range in terms of shooting capability i don't i don't see a bow like that holding me back until i get to, to that threshold which is quite frankly um <laughs> it's quite a bit of use you get out of that is there a better way to explain this in terms of when they should move from the low price point to the high
0: you know i usually i i uh I, two things what i tell people one you just have a bunch of money you don't mind spending it that's legitimate yeah, that's, that's I, easy yeah yep yeah, that's easy the other one when you're hitting consistently at uh you know softball to paper plate at 20 and 30 yards you got a consistent draw consistent pounded. you know what pounded you want to end up at you know what your draw length's at your form is relatively good it's a good time to think about upgrading your bow because you're not buying a bow that you're going to be changing your form and become useless. So when your upgraded bow is going to align with who you are as a shooter the rest of your life, that's the time you would upgrade. Meaning you don't really want to probably get one the first month because I don't know how much shit I changed, but it was a lot. But again, you're shooting good. You know, your poundage, you know, your draw length, uh, you know, a little bit about what, you know, is important to you, meaning you may want a little bit more of a super curved limb. If you got a shorter draw, you may have a longer draw and want more of a forgiving limb. Um, You know what poundage you're comfortable with, meaning, you know, at 50 to 53, you're comfortable. You bump to 55, you get a little yippy. you know. So, again, you're ordering a bow for the rest of your life. It is is literally a lifelong investment, and you don't want to get married to someone you've only met for three days. People do it. Doesn't really end up well, but they do it. Same thing with a bow. Nice. Might work out long term, but probably not. That's kind of the advice I give.
1: Yep, that's that's good. So I, you don't want to get more bow than you require because you're at some point, especially in wood, you're spending money on on aesthetics. And uh but that old mountain mates aesthetic sage is always always a good safe path and honestly it can carry you a long way and they're and they're fun to shoot. If you want to get into the more like handmade bows, at, at reasonable prices, uh, Mad Dog Archery, is a U.S. bowyer, and it's all handmade stuff. And he has a youth longbow that's just outstanding for ninety-five dollars. I mean, you can't beat that. Anybody that has children, you can just, you know, load them up with these. And then his his longbows kind of move up a little bit, but you're in that low end of four hundred, four hundred dollars, four hundred twenty-five dollars. And uh, it's, I mean, it's not going to be like a twelve hundred dollar um, bow in terms of fit and finish, but it's respectable. And his alignment and plane isn't going to be CNC precision, but it's respectable. And uh, it, it offers more value than the cost in my mind when you compare it to other bows. And a lot of folks don't, uh, I don't hear him recommended very often, but he makes a great bow for the money. That's mad dog. I just got one of his ASLs in here and it's doing very, very well. <clears throat> I would go with one of his long bows versus the youth models. mm.
0: While we're talking about that, I would actually say uh, that this the stalker weasel um, f- for the price and uh, the limb exchange is if you want to get your kid kind of a custom uh, little tight bow he can grow into for a while that that weasel is actually one hell of a bow for <clears throat> for what you get out of it and as you need new limbs he'll swap them out um, so that that's one that you know that may not be that's not for a 22 to 45 year old person buying a bow i'm talking about you got an eight nine year old kid and you want to get him something super cool that weasel's good and then by the time he's probably 12 14 he's or she will be worn out you know they'll be out of it but it is a a custom handmade cool looking bow for a kid um you know and and that is an option but that's about that's little kids so i'll shut up now go ahead
1: what's the price point on it?
0: yeah I'm, i'm gonna look it up now um because honestly, it's been so long since I, b- I bought one for Kaylee. It's been so long. I can't <clears throat> that's
1: really a really cool feature for kids to be able to swap those limbs out. If they, if they grow so
0: fast. So, those are really good options on the
1: low end. And then I guess that's as close to mid as I can get. And I'm, I'm always, this is where I'm going to cause people a little bit of frustration. I'm a, I'm a, it's always difficult for me to suggest a wood bow in this 500 to $900 price range. And the easiest way for me to say this, is that there's a lot of people that offer $1,214 bows, but there's only a few bowyers that make them. It. So it's like somehow all the bowyers have kind of skipped that price point and moved everything up into the, the higher end, and I don't know how that works, but it, that's what occurred. So whenever I move up into this $500 price range and up, I usually move people into the metal world. So we look at uh, metal risers, like you have your um, what is that thing? The Black Elk 21. Is that what it is? Yeah. For $189. That's really tough to beat at that price for what you get. You're going to get a 21 inch riser that uh, has decent hardware. You can throw rest on it. You can put long limbs on there and shoot 3D. You can put medium limbs on there and hunt. You could actually hunt with the long limbs as well. You match that with a set of Black Max uh, ILF limbs that are the wood glass. That's around $149. Very good, stable limb. You throw 100 more bucks up, you're in that 250 price range for the Black Max Carbon. But really, if you're gonna move to that price range, you're typically better moving into that WNS Motive, and that's 249. dollars And those are the old SF Elites. Those limbs have been around forever. They're extremely reliable. <clears throat> I've had a set that I've, I've dry fired a few times. Uh, I cut strings on on accident. They just really beat them up, and they, they're a very tough and reliable limbs. That's the WS, WNS motive for $249. You can find that. You move up just a little bit. You're in that DAS 3K carbon bamboo limb space. That's a great limb for the price. And now you get up into this Winx TradTech RC price point. Now you're in the 450 to, to $600 price range in limbs. And the TradTechs are really, really popular now. No, Aaron, you're, are you? Is that what you landed on this year? are you still going back and forth i know we tuned them when you were here last
0: Mm, well i kind of actually landed on the bob lee but yeah as far as the limbs go between those two and we can talk about that in a a minute but the the carbon foam uh trad pretty much tested out the same as the within reason of the ukas the ukas just have a smoother draw um yeah, it's it's debatable because the stock, the, the trad texts are more durable. Um, yeah, so far and as, have a
1: broader window of tune. Yeah, apparently.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. See, and, and plucking, you have a little they reef out of your fingers a little more. Which, if you have perfect forms, you know, downside whatever. But um, if I had to pick one right, you know, now uh, off of just comfort of draw, it'd be the UCA. If I had to pick one now for for durability and, and shootability, I'm shooting the trad text better.
1: Yeah, I'm in the same boat after. After going through that
0: exercise with you, um, we learned a lot about
1: about that limb. So that price point is around what is that? 550.
0: There, 450 for carbon wood, 550 for, or I think it's actually bamboo. Um, and then 550 for foam. Yep.
1: And if you want to save a little bit of money, I've been telling people this whenever they ask. There's a Winx limb, with the blue and white Win and Win limb. It's been around for a long time, and it's a really really good limb at least slightly smoother than the TradTech RC, <clears throat> and it's only 449 And I mean, that thing has been shot in competition for 15 to 20 years. I think I have three, maybe four sets here that are from the mid... Uh, they're probably from around 2010, 2011 time frame. They're all painted camo, and they, and they work great. And that's a $449 lens. You just have to rattle can it. <clears throat> and we rattle can most of our lens anyway. So those two are going to be really, really tough to beat at that price point. And you know, you, if you're running that black elk riser, you have a 21 inch riser. If you want a shorter riser, what I always recommend because there's always plenty out there, hit the classifieds and pick up, pick up a used riser and just stay within. It, it's so easy to say this because it's, it, it just simplifies things and helps people's choices. If you're looking at Hoyt, if you're looking at DOS and you're looking at what's another main brand for, for metal,
0: uh um, basically
1: the Satori, the DOS.
0: Yeah, I mean you've got a bunch of like gallery galaxies and then this right. uh how do you pronounce that one? This uh starts with an S more of a tournament bow. Uh Sugarelli. WF nineteen from C D R tree. Yeah, That's those are yeah. some of
1: the so Look look for those the C D R tree, the Satori, the DOS. Those are all mainstays. Backlands. People,
0: sorry, I forgot yeah, the
1: Nope. Backlands Composites is a great new riser in, in that nineteen inch space. If you're in that space, you're going to get a good riser. When you start trying to dissect the difference across those three, you really need to be a really good shooter for it to be of any meaning to you. Otherwise, you're forcing people to just give you an opinion that you'll never be able to realize or actualize when you get there. So, look in the classifieds. If you see any of those main brands, pick it up and you've got, you have yourself a decent riser. Pretty that's, that's at least been around for a while and, and proven itself. Whenever you move out of that $500 price range for risers, you might as well just skip and move up to that $700 to $800 price range for risers, and, and, and you're, you're where you need to be for top of the line. The same thing with limbs, except even less marginal utility. When you move from, <clears throat> about to get interesting here, Aaron, so load up on your caffeine. When you move from $500 all the way up to, I guess now, $1,100, it's going to be really hard. To put together a powerpoint presentation with charts and graphs and explain to my wife why i need to buy those, um because the they, they are smoother and they certainly are faster right? you're picking up 13 15 feet per second and they're great if you have the money and you want that there's absolutely nothing wrong with going with that path you're getting up into that mk archery space where you can rattle can those and have a great traditional filling limb you're getting up into that hookah uh, price range, which they're, they've become very popular now, and they're obviously fast. But um, you're spending a lot of money. You're, you're getting less limb for your money when you move beyond that five hundred, five hundred fifty dollars price range. Is what I would be submitting to the to your group.
0: Yeah, I would I would agree. Um, you know, the thing you brought up to the uh, the sales pitch to the to the wife is probably something not touched on as much as it should be. Is what. <sighs> it's been difficult. When you buy a wood bow, right? You're you're buying when I say a wood bow, when you're buying a high-end custom wood bow, you are buying the look of it, the 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 prestige, the the history of the company. But you're not necessarily always buying the most precision, and some bows you are. Uh some custom bow makers um you know, as most people have figured out i don't shoot a wood riser myself um it's usually g10 or phenolic or micarta or whatever um you know there's some wood you know decorative wood on the front of it whatever you want to call that wood overlays or whatever um and i'm not uh, i don't get geeked up on this what i think's going on now um in, in the industry with people maybe picking apart things that they didn't pick apart before is there are certain people that can actually shoot a bow maybe a little better than than the the, the status quo of the past and when you when you buy a, a bow and and you and I both get this a lot and, and others as well you know the Rocky Mountain specialty gears or the pushes or whoever why can't I get this bow to tune well, it might be you. It, it might be the bow was built kind of crappy, you know. And and so when you're when you're spinning that price tag, what what Cody and I are hoping to do specifically, Cody, is you are actually getting, as Cody talked about, exactly what you are paying for. And um, I don't want to go too much into a run on with this, but for for me, if I'm going to buy the best, it's probably going to have carbon in the limb. Um, at a minimum bamboo core, foam, hopefully, for me, I like foam cores a little better. Um, I don't really want a super pretty decorative wooden riser like a blacktail that costs four thousand dollars. I want a hammer that is going to pound nails for the rest of my life. I want something that doesn't isn't ugly, but I want something that's going to last that's built with precision, that I can swap limbs on super easy, and, and that's going to stand the test of time. I'm not looking for the to hang it on the wall. I'm looking to kill with it. And, and when I say that, I'm being serious. I mean, I'm, I am using it as a tool and I want that tool to perform the best it can. When I buy a hammer, I'm not buying it for the looks, I'm buying it for how well it pounds in nails. And I look at it a little bit differently than most. So if you're into the decorative stuff, then you might, you know, you're going to have to dig pretty hard to make sure you're getting a precision crafted weapon at that price tag. I confuse people with that or is that how'd I do? No,
1: I think that's, I think that's solid. Um, one more, one more option before I move to the high end, the Biovac ILF longbow limbs have been around for years and years and years. They're tough as nails and they test true. I tested, I probably have four or five sets of my own. They're very consistent and Jim knows how to make a really good glass wood core. ILF longbow limb. I know that's a really small market, but I don't want to leave it out because there are guys looking for that. As you move up into the higher end, you're looking at MK, you're looking at UCA, um, and really, if you can shoot the difference between those, you are in the top 5% of shooters globally. At this point, it's not really going to be about shootability for most people. You're going to feel the UCA and like it, or you're going to like the speed, or you're going to feel the, the MK and prefer that. As you enter into the wood space, now entering into that $800,000 price point, it, it, for me the field and I have to be fair, I haven't tested every bow. I think I have close to 41 bows here that I've tested. So there, there may be one out there that I haven't touched, there more than likely is and so this, this message may change in a year. But whenever you move into that price point, the pyramid starts to come to a sharp and what i look for is not just the, the metrics where i'm looking at draw force which is ergonomics how it feels and i, and I want to say i want to get my dig in here aaron a lot of bowyers when i reach back to them and say hey your bow is kind of stacky their normal response is it doesn't matter it's a hunting bow if you want to learn how to collapse shoot a stacky bow because you're going to let go of that thing as fast as you can i mean it's it's uh i'm shooting asls right now that are, tend to be stacky by design. And you just have to learn how to shoot them faster. You're going to collapse because you're pulling into that tight wall. So I think it does matter for, for hunters and competitors alike that have, the limb have good ergonomics. And there's plenty of others out there that can make it. So I look at that ergonomic. I look at the sound. I look at the speed. And I look at shootability. And the first year that I started TradLab, everyone told me shootability wasn't quantifiable. I believe it is. And um, we'll get into that, I'm sure, when we start talking about what you experienced here as we were tuning in your limbs, But whenever you get into that price point for me, from what I've tested, you're looking at St. Patrick's lake longbows. Uh, the Swift stick is probably the smoothest longbow I've tested to date. Uh, I think it's third highest in terms of performance. Um, good, good longbow. Uh, good guy. He has an ASL called an American stick. If you're, if you want to get into the hill style bows, that's uh, that's at the top of the, the pile there. You're moving into, as always, Tolkien which is always building a good, reliable bow that are tillered really, really well. And I can now quantify that. Uh, they're gonna shoot well for most people. <clears throat> the 10X grip configuration is by far my, my preference for them. When I shoot the classic grip or their thumb rest grip, I have, I, I have a little bit more torque, but I have yet to pick up a Tolkien 10X that I didn't shoot well and, uh, and didn't test well. You always have Widow that's building a consistent bow and you have Bob Lee that's building a consistent bow and um, consistency is the other thing that i, I have to bring up because people will say well why did you recommend so and so they stack a little bit more well why did you recommend this if they can build six bows and they're very very close to one another that's a pretty darn good volume in today's world and with those top three if you order something you're going to get what you ordered and if you don't get what you're going to get ordered you're going to get taken care of and whenever you're part of same thing for retailers you know when you talk about Three Rivers or Rocky Mountain, if you have a problem with your eco they'll take care of you. If you go overseas, maybe they will, maybe they won't, and, you know, the shipping could eat you alive. So, service is a big part of my recommendations, I guess, long story short, and because you're going to have problems, and if you do, and you have the right service behind you, it's not an issue. Outside of, the, outside of that, for the top three in terms of wood that I've tested, your ILF, Risers configuration and links are going to come down to what you can handle in terms of your form and your draw. If you're a longer drawing guy, you've got to spend money or you've got to go with a really long bow. It's that simple. It's a curse more than a blessing. I think I used to want a longer drawing because I thought I could get more speed. Those guys have a tougher time finding a good bow and they have a tougher time finding a good team. But that's, that's basically where I'm at. Stay, um, uh, 60 inches and above, and uh, you're, you're set, I shoot a 60 inch bow and in blinds. And then I like a 66 or a 64 outside of blinds. But I'm, I'm a little bit abnormal in that space. All right, so out, out of the low end, mid price point and high end, it's, it really gets sharp, sharply pointed there. And you're looking for consistent, consistency and service. And it's the same top three that I always recommend. Uh, I guess you could add a top four there now. Um, when you move into the ILF space, really you're, you're looking at a, you're at a point where you're looking at a limb that they're all going to be performing very, very well compared to wood. I mean, a $250 set of ILF limbs perform as well as a $1,000 wood bow. That's just reality. They don't look as good. They're not going to inspire you to shoot as much. But if you're trying to take the, the low cost, high value route, it's just impossible for a wood bow to compete with that space. Uh, if you if you take all the emotion out, so getting a set of limbs that are going to be reliable and put together well is probably my top recommendation. You can do that in a four to five hundred dollar range, and you're not pushing the envelope for speed. Because <clears throat> what we're learning is, what I'm certainly learning is speed isn't the most important factor. Right, the most important factor is getting that tune. And what I'm seeing is as we move along the axis of of you know top fuel dragsters in the longbow or, or recurve world that window tune gets smaller and smaller and small, smaller. So I'm starting to push people as I learn, back to the middle price point range. We have that broader window. Tune.
0: Yeah. Uh, man, I'm going to wait. Cause my spiel is going to take way too long. It's going to detour from what you're talking about. So go ahead.
1: <laughs> okay. No, that's not a problem. The only thing I'd like to point out because of your specific audience, Aaron is there's a lot of people Aaron, that want to come to the trad world and they reach out to me and <clears throat> they're doing it because it's a younger guy. Just getting started on his own, and he's putting down his compound, and he's considering coming over to recurve because he thinks it's cheaper. And <clears throat> I think I sold my wife on that when I started trad as well, and I had to start an LLC. But it's not—I'm not sure it's cheaper at this point. Um, it would be hard for me to say that the initial bow is and it can be cheaper, but um, I—you don't see too many people sticking with the, the low-cost bows throughout their careers. The other point is you're going to – we talk a lot about bows, but you're going to spend less – you're going to come in and pick up a Santa Sage or Old Mountain Mesa or $250 ILF lens, and it will be very easy for you to spend $800 on arrows. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like an inverse relationship and, and trying to get a tune or finding the right arrow. So, eventually, we need to have a, an arrow discussion. But it may not be the cheap route. You can get a cheap compound pretty 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 easy. I want you to come into trad because you want to shoot trad and you want to be a bigger part of the shot. The second biggest thing that I see is people come in because they say trad is more—it's it simpler—and they come in and they realize that maybe it's not quite so simple. And I lose—and we lose them in our community. I'm all about trying to retain this community and get it to grow. There's nothing more simple, and I know there's people screaming at their at their phones right now listening to this. There's nothing more simple than dropping your compound off three weeks prior to season and asking somebody else to tune it, coming back and getting it hunting and shooting a deer. I can't compete with that in the trad world. You're going to have to come in here and you're going to have to work on your form. You're going to have to get some arrows that work not great, but they work. And as you refine your form, you'll get more arrows. But as long as you come in with that mindset and you follow these price and value guidelines, I think we have you on the right space. But if you, if you think you're going to come in and make it more easy, man, you're going to be disappointed because it's, it's not easy. Most of the stuff in DIY and you're going to tune yourself and you've got to work on your, your form to get that sound. Yeah, I, really the,
0: I would agree. The, the <clears> thing <throat> where you talk about the simplicity um, at, at, at the root, it is 100% simpler with a stick bow. The problem is, is since it's so simple, you have to work a lot more on you and Americans don't want to work on you. They don't want to work on us or me or however you want to put it. Where with a compound, you got to draw, stop, peep, sight, sight, right? I can get you dialed in at 40 yards in about an hour with a compound bow and ready to hunt. With a stick bow, you're going to have to have discipline. You're going to have to practice every day. You're going to have to work on your form. It is much funner to me. Uh, it's more of a challenge. It's funner to go stump shooting, you know, but you are going to have to put in the work to get to where you're successful. And if you're that type of a driven person, yeah. Yeah, i think that's a good idea to pick up a stick bow good hand eye coordination you're driven you 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 love tinkering when you love when i say tinkering not even just tinkering with arrows or your bow let's say i jake down said something about this once he said uh you know get one arrow and one bow that tunes well and turn off social media and go shoot that's probably the cheapest route right do that but you know you're going to be able to tinker like learning different you know form um you know are you a three under guy a split finger guy you know once you get that dialed in But, you know, if you're changing constantly, that means you're probably changing arrows. Or if you're, oh, I don't know if I like this bow. I'm going to try another bow. It does get super expensive. Now, right now, it would be way cheaper for me to shoot a stick bow than a compound. But I've had five, six years now of working on form and things like that. (laughs) You know, find my own
1: path. You've also probably tested, you know, 50 to 60 bows. So you've, you've been able to go through the lineup and find what works.
0: Yeah, and I have Rocky Mountain Specialty right down the road from me who has those bows on the wall. So, you know, for, for me, it's all about the grip. Uh, you know, it's a huge part of it. So, you know, like I said with the Bob Lee, the first one I got, bow shot great. I hit left with it. No matter how what, what I tuned, I sent it back down, and, and Rob molded the grip to what I consider the Snyder grip or what people call the Snyder grip, which is a little closer to a compound grip. And, you know, it I... Hate to say this out loud, but so far right now, it's the best bow I've ever shot, um, and that's total package, right? That that's speed, forgiveness, uh, obviously quality, uh, craftsmanship. And I just flat hit with it last night. Amy was laughing because I was doing all kinds of jacked up angles: one knee, you know, right leg up, left leg up, quick snapshots, farther shots, and you know, I wasn't coming out of the ten very much. I was working real hard on on bedded deer because that's kind of what I'm about to go against. Uh, it's bedded deer. You know, it, it, when when you talk about shootability, that's different for each person and if you start off with a bad grip or you know what it, it can be an uphill road to hoe and that's where it does get expensive.
1: Before we move in, cause I know you want to touch more on that and, and we've done this podcast before we have recommended different price points. But what I end up battling, not battling, but debating with people because um, they obviously take advice from you. They're matching your bow configuration and what I'm trying to tell them is that may not work for them. So let me just interview you really fast on your bow configuration so people can make up their own mind. You shoot, you prefer a 62-inch bow, correct? Correct. And that's for hunting in blinds and out of blinds, or do you go shorter in blinds? You just do no, all, all the
0: way around. That's tournament blind, in blind, tree stand, spot and stock, 62 inches the the package for me. Okay, and you and you keep that constant. What is it why do you choose sixty-two over sixty-four?
1: You have a limiting package. Why is it? What prevents you from going to 64 and 65?
0: Uh, just what I got used to. I, I mean, honestly, I, I would have no issue tomorrow if somebody said, hey, you need to shoot a 64-inch bow. Probably more upsides than downsides. The length does not bother me. Uh, but I got used to a 62-inch, uh, the way the string crosses my face, uh, you know, the way it feels in the hand as far as sight, yeah, sight picture, yeah. all that.
1: Uh, but that's what I'm looking for. So if you go to a 64, you would have to change your form because you get – scrape on your face
0: correct so yep. you stay at 62. and string string I, angle is greater so i clip it's not my face it's my nose gets clipped a lot more with a 64.
1: there you go so that that key so people will go out there and they'll match your configuration but we're all different forms of ugly and aaron definitely has his own unique form of ugly so that string him his nose will be different for each one of us so you just can't rubber stamp what aaron is choosing whether it's overall length Cause I, you know, in these clinics, I'm looking at what people have. There's a lot of 17 inch right? And there's some big guys trying to shoot them with long, really long draws, uh, and different, uh, configurations may help them more. And it's the same thing with grips. Um, I have Aaron's grip here on, on my, um, KB, uh, Aaron's grip, cooling grip are very similar. Aaron's grip angles out a Jaeger 2.0, which is probably the most common standard grip. It's also called the Jenkins grip or the whip 10 X grip angles in toward the bow, that's probably going to work for a broader group of people than Aaron's grip, which angles away from the bow. And you just have to test that and it works for you, but Aaron gives great advice in terms of what equipment to buy, but his, his configuration is custom suited to him through tons and tons of shooting drills. And I don't want people to shortchange themselves.
0: Does that make sense, Aaron? Yeah. It's good that you bring that up. And, and when you. When you're looking at a, a 17 or a 19 inch riser and a medium or long limbs, you know for that's kind of debatable. Um, you know, when I say debatable, there's there's pros and cons. Well, I'd say there's more pros to a medium limb than a long, uh, but you know, I same feel for me in the sense of how it crosses my face, uh, whether it's a long or a medium limb. I think if you're a 28 to 29 and a half 30 inch draw, you'd be fine with the system that I'm um, using. You also have to. I don't shoot a vertical bow. I can't. Um, I tune my arrows to have a specific point on, um, meaning I have different weights to go for. You know, uh, you know how much point weight, how much um, uh, component weight, and you know I'm tuning to a specific point on. I'm 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 fairly adept in tuning, um, and I'm fairly adept in what I want, and, and and I and I and I can tweak things. And if you're not good at all that, it can be a fucking pain in the ass. There's no way around it. If <laughs> <laughs> you're not good at that, a longer bow will forgive you. Right? Longer bows
1: tend to be, well, they don't tend to be. Longer bows are more robust to tiller. Just tiller like a longer barrel on a rifle.
0: Ability. I mean, right. not the same, but the no. same. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: more forgiving. And uh, the, the compromise is it's not as compact for hunting. There's, there's a lot of discussion around limbs opening up and people will die on that mountain. But whenever I test limbs at different draw lengths 27 28 29 which is an incremental gain in speed six to seven feet per second if there were a sweet spot for limbs it wouldn't be so incremental you would see a spike and you would see it kind of level out and it's very so don't choose your limbs based on speed so let I test let me dive just, in on that
0: because i okay. got stuck in the bro science so initially when i went to order uh, a bow long ago it was a uh, uh, um I went to order a PCH because Randy Cooling told me to get a 62-inch PCH 19-inch riser medium limb type of build. I had someone else message me and say, hey, get a shorter riser, get the PSA, um, and get longer limbs. They'll open up more, and you'll get more speed. I'm a good soldier. It's like, fuck, makes sense to me. That's what I ordered. That's what I got used to. People would ask me, and I would say, because <laughs> I, I, I stopped saying the limbs open up more because I, I didn't know that that was actually true i just said "Ah, that's what i'm comfortable with well i tested in great depth and and i don't uh again minuscule if any amount of difference the speed was the same with 17 and longs 19 and mediums i saw no and the limbs are definitely opening up more when you video it from the side but i'm not getting any more speed from longs as i am with mediums i will say that now that's Four different sets of limbs I've tried in a, in a few different bows. Mm-hmm. The Bob Lee is a 19 with, quote, unquote, medium limbs. That is one of the fastest bows I've shot for how forgiving it is. Um, right. The Trad Tech and Uka at 17 or at 19 with mediums, no difference in speed whatsoever. I mean, literally identical. So.
1: Now, what are the price points between those two limbs?
0: Five fifty and nine fifty, something like that. Five fifty for Trad Tech. Ukas are not. Say which,
1: you didn't say which brand of Uka, and I want to make sure we U, point that out because
0: Uka Altai is right at a grand, Uca. and TradTech carbon foam is five fifty.
1: Right, and and we stood out here in the backyard at like 40, 45 yards, and cast was within re, cast was within your normal variation. Speed was was. Uh, was 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 right there but there was nothing there was nothing there that was for me to cover that price range after, Dro- wa- after, after we tuned that and watched them shoot and listened to them shoot I would have walked away every day with the choice you did
0: so the 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 one thing the one caveat to that if you uh have some physical issues the uca will win every time it is smoother drawing by a good bit um yeah. That is the that is the one thing I will I want to make sure people understand that because if you get a trad tech and it's a little stacky, it's gonna be the Uka limb literally draws like butter. It is the smoothest drawing limb within reason, uh, smoothest drawing limb I've tried uh, up until this Boblee. Um, I would say the Boblee probably draws as smooth, um, e- easily and a little faster than the, the Uka. It's very impressed, but. You will draw that Uka smoother uh, than you will the TradTech. Other than that, the TradTech was extremely impressive.
1: And people are going to respond on, on your comments when you post this that the TradTech is noisy. But by the time we got done wet sanding and polishing that tune of, of that bow in your hands, all we could hear was your spring. It was one of the quietest. I mean, we And some use limb that. savers.
0: And some limb yeah, savers.
1: That's right. But we got that boat very, very quiet. So it, it's very doable. You just have to, you have to get those limbs timed perfectly.
0: Yeah, you do. And they, they are a little snappy at first, but I put two cat whiskers on. Um, part of that was for the tune because it, it actually – I was tearing a little weak, and it cleaned that up. Um, and this is obviously screwing it out around at home. I have a set of limb savers on it. Um, I've tried two different quivers, the Selway strap-on and the Great Northern. I don't know that that made a difference, really. It's kind of hard to quantify that, but – a lot of times when, you know, nothing wrong with having a non-biased third party like your wife that doesn't, if she doesn't shoot especially, hey, honey, how's this sound? Oh, yeah, it's way quieter than the other one. Well, if it was the same bow, but you did something different, <laughs> well, then I would say it's a victory. You're making your bow quieter. And when I came home, she couldn't, she didn't even know it was the same limb because it was that loud when I first threw it on to, to when I had it tuned Not with the track.
1: cast. So that was, I was eye-opening for me. And- I think what we're saying makes sense for traditional limbs. When you start getting into these extreme curve limbs, maybe, maybe the length does matter. I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't done incremental testing on those yet. But what I think a mistake that I have made over the past year is recommending these faster limbs. I, I haven't really dove into the, the, the window of tune. So now you have people with these faster limbs that may be relatively new and they can't get an arrow to tune. And so going for a more forgiving setup is always going to be optimal. You may not get what you want because we all want the burn burners, but you get better arrow flight.
0: Yeah, and I don't know, like I really try to impress upon people not to worry about, you know, speed. Speed's a bonus to me. Um, When I say speed's a bonus, if I have a bow that I shoot extremely well and it's a 570 grain arrow and 57 pounds and I'm at 170, I don't care. Now, if I shoot another bow that I get an, a, a, an extra 12 feet per second on, it's just as forgiving and, and as quiet or quieter. That's a bonus. That's not what I looked for. That's just what I ended up with. I don't get real. Ra- I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't, don't want to be shooting 140 feet per second. But within reason, I could give two shits yeah. about eight feet per second. Doesn't, doesn't matter to yeah. me. I'll probably short draw it on an animal and be eight feet slower anyway. So it doesn't really matter.
1: You, wanna, you just want to manage your trajectory because that's the trade off, right? And yeah. I, uh, last year I moved all the way down to 132 feet per second and, and was getting got three pass throughs on animals. So I'm not going to go any slower, but um, that, I tried to test both ends of the spectrum, and you really don't see any statistical or practical difference in pass throughs because I'm shooting at that time I'm shooting a 710 grain arrow to get that slow speed. So that um, don't chase speed. Look for something that's easier to turn. It's going to do a good deal. Its lethality is good enough in those. Uh, those, whatever, or not what arrows, the heavier arrows. When I say heavy, 550 to 650, I wouldn't recommend stepping outside unless you are specifically hunting, you know, whitetail close with 700 greens or more, but mm-hmm. kind of drift in there. But that's that's the lineup from low to high. There's a gap in the middle and everything's a trade-off in archery, but um, using, trying to pick something that you get the greatest utility from is, is going to keep you in the sport longer and the analogy I always use is like the guitar, the music industry, right? People go buy a cheap guitar, then they want to learn how to play the guitar. And they quit because that $150 guitar was so much harder to play than maybe a $600 guitar. And uh, I don't know if that resonates with people or not, but I don't want people coming in here and picking up a Howard Hill style bow because people say it's more accurate and easier to shoot because it's not. That's going to make you quit fast, it's going to make you tap out. You, you want to pick a forgiving rig that offers a really good tiller and and good, good alignment. You can get that in that 200 to $500 price range. Yeah. So for top pick, you want to go into the the disruptor we have coming into the market. Uh,
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, keep in mind, like, um, when I'm talking about this, I just got this bow, but the the new aura has worn off, which is generally that 48 hour aura, I like to call it. Um, meaning you're always gonna shoot something new better than everything goes to shit. It's like advanced uh, you know shooting by spending or whatever you want to call that. Um, I uh, the, the the Bob Lee has definitely been uh, the the Shikari has been a bit of a game changer. I, I had one uh, originally. Uh, I posted a video on it. I didn't have time to, uh, I was hitting left with it, I didn't wanna leave, I pulled the video down, I didn't wanna leave it up on something I hadn't been able to shoot a lot until I could shoot groups with it, and so was just trying to be fair to people watching. There was some, it's funny, people concoct whatever story they went up in their brain with that. Um, but the, I was able to, um, I, ha- I had some issues with the bow I was shooting, so I called Rob, and I said, hey man, can you can you remold that grip for me? I sent him some photos, and I sent him a riser, and I said, "I need you to do this, this, and this." I think that's the issue I had, which it, which it was. So I got the bow. I got. It took about a week for him to get it all dialed in for me. Um, and and at this point, it, it is literally the best bow I have have shot, and that's including ILF. Um, you know bows and i'm shooting off a fishing line rest of all things now that's not to say i can't tiller tune the bow you know that's i'm not saying it's like oh the most adjustable but as far as i tuned it in 15 minutes uh, i think i called you and actually said uh it's pretty amazing i got this thing dialed in 36 yard point on shot a 3d course a couple days ago you probably saw some of those videos was making some pretty amazing cliff shots shots that are difficult not just easy flat ground shots but Uh, there's one in the video where I shoot through, it's a 36 yard Turkey through the trees with about a 12 inch gap, uh, about 20 yards in front of me. You have to go through the kind of shot that you fear in the woods. Um, you know, trying not to look at the trees and yeah, it's just, just drilling. and And it's, what's important is even with a bad shot, it's pretty clean. Now I, I tested mine, the limb alignment. I used my, my Hilti five axis, um, basically laser level i used it for construction i checked limb alignment uh one of the odd things with this bow don't ask me as cody would tell you because of my downward release i generally have to take on an ilf bow some cranks off the bottom limb and i shoot extremely knock high with the Lee, i'm at a half inch knock high at three under and i'm i'm shooting bullet holes with it um you know why that is i i don't know i mean i still have the same crappy release I just think that the this bow is one that will probably be one of those, a bit of a game changer uh, for the, you know, quote-unquote custom bows. I have the stable lock system. That's what the Shikari comes in. Um, you know, time will tell, obviously, like, you know, long-term. You know, I've only had it a few weeks, but I think that um, it will be an eye-opener for people because the speed you get and the forgiveness you get out of that limb – is pretty hard to turn your nose at because I'm shooting 182 feet per second with a 589 grain arrow, um, mm. you know, basically 57 and a half pounds. So I'm, I'm over tens grain per pound over 180. That's not the fastest limb ever made, but it's pretty dang fast. And so it's, I'm very impressed with it right now.
1: Aaron, I just want to walk you back. Like <clears throat> either I heard it backwards or you said it backwards. You typically get a knock low, so you have to set your knock point high, right? You, yeah, did I say it backwards? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. uh, and you're saying there's less of effect of that with this bow
0: by far? So, yeah, and i, I saying it backwards. I put more pressure on my bottom limb because of my downward release, which makes that limb fire harder, which makes my arrow tear knock low generally. So I have to tiller tune and take cranks out of my bottom limb, which is a negative tiller. There you go. I think I say yeah. it backwards sometimes too. With I'll this, leave more
1: more on top, more more distance on top between the string and the limb.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so when normally like i just i get an even tiller bow i set it at five eighths knock high that's about where it tunes um that's off the shelf or a springy rest or anything with this i have a fishing line rest uh trent winger's is the one that kind of made this and pushed it and then jake and i pushed it a little farther jake's continuing obviously to make it famous um it's just a bunch of fishing line and a 22 casing jammed together and you drill a hole in the riser and push the the fishing line in after you've burnt the end and then i have a just a Velcro strike plate and a little piece of plastic behind that for my strike plate. Um, not the most forgiving setup compared to a plunger or a springy, but I am at a half inch knock high um, with an even tiller, which is not normal uh, for me. Good, yeah.
1: And the, the lower your knock, the more efficient your bow is going to be. So that's, that's really interesting. They have, they're building a bow for me to test. And uh, I've got a, I've created a section on my YouTube channel called behind the bow where we are bring Instead of me just going through the graphs and the speed, I'm asking the bowyers if they'll come on with me and go through it with me. And I, you'd, you'd said you'd come on there with them and they go through this, but I'm looking forward to testing that bow because, and they are fearless. Like there are a lot of bowyers that have turned me down. I've sent out invitations like, Hey, will you come on? Will I test your bow? And I'm, no, I'm not interested. These people are fearless and they're like, absolutely. We want to get our bow on there and get it tested. So it'll be cool to, to see how this thing goes. Cause it sounds like it's got long legs.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll be interesting that you come up with. Um, you know, and, and as I, you know, I want to make sure people understand. Like, it's not like I had any issue with uh, the Satori. I shoot the Satori great. I, you know, in the Uka or the Trad Tech limbs, um, I shot the um, the I shot the the Black Widow fine. Um, it wasn't any <coughs> issue. issues. Uh, some just some limb issues I had, and so I didn't. Um, you know, it's. Uh, people it seems like because I, I i changed a lot of stuff testing all of a sudden what i was shooting was bad sometimes what i was shooting was bad uh but in this case i just i wanted it with Bob Lee. give him a chance have him you know work on that riser uh or that grip and it turns out you know it's a very smart move nothing wrong with some of the other bows i've shot but i i believe that that bobbly is is the best uh that i've shot so far by a by a pretty pretty far stretch no that's good. That's a good point and you know, the, the thing you have to remember
1: if you're listening, I, mean, I don't watch TV and I, I don't sleep a lot so we're testing all the time and as you test, you learn, right? And I know Aaron does the same thing so as I change my, my opinion is based on my experience and my experience is evolving probably at a faster rate than most because I spend my time doing this but um, so when you see Aaron change, I think it's the same thing. And, the other point is, Aaron, if you didn't change, what the hell would we talk about, right? You can't just use one broadhead and one bow and one string, or there's nothing to talk about. You have to, and, and I don't you have to move around.
0: I don't blame that on the people. I can see where that come from. It's the industry. Most people change because they got paid more from someone else. And I get that people get jaded from that. And so they immediately think, oh, this guy got paid off. And one well, of the I cool, That's a point, yeah. you know, and so I don't I don't blame people for thinking that. But, you know, just know, like if I'm getting paid by someone, I'll just tell you, I don't give a shit about that. Like, I, you know, I get paid for designs. You know, I get paid for all kinds of stuff, whether it be a boot design or I help design some clothing or. Uh, you know, it's it's basically just consulting of hey, this is the direction the market's going. And I think that you guys would be smart to build this. Cody does the same stuff.
1: So, so we should we should just because I think I hear this a lot. Let me let me ask you these questions. Do you receive money by Hoyt for shooting and selling the Satorian?
0: Never have, ever.
1: Have you have you received a penny from Hoyt? Never. Do you receive money from Black Widow?
0: I got uh Two five hundred dollar checks three years ago to help them recreate their uh, Instagram page
1: there you go right and, oh, and I guess black eagle
0: black eagle I, I do I get compensated from Black Widow for designs uh, or not black widow black eagle, like, like eagle uh, say it right now. yeah, black eagle that started, and I can't go into great detail because of what we're designing um because I'm under NDAs for that, but I got paid to design new systems for them. Um, It's not, I think somebody told you $35,000 a year I get paid from them. I get paid $800 a month during the time of testing and design uh, for this new um, system coming out on the market, and that started a little while ago. I don't have any issue taking that money or telling people because I'm having to put a lot of work into this. Now... Do I get royalties? No, I won't get anything out of this design. This is literally for going out for the work of testing and designing it. Now, it, I know there's been a huge, um, not a huge, a large amount of people have told you specifically, I think it was thirty five thousand or was it more than that? I
1: don't know. Yeah, roughly that I've heard a few times. And when you hear it a few times, you don't know makes it true
0: yeah yeah so i get a kick out of that because i'm very candid about it like i look at it as like if you said hey do you will you put in my shower yeah I'll, I'll do a small amount for free i don't mind helping a buddy but there's small amounts and large amounts and at a certain time when i i really don't have the time to do it because if i'm trying to run a business i'm gonna probably take some money on the design portion i got pay i've gotten paid for designing clothing now there's a big difference because have you ever seen me say don't buy a, well unless it's an FMJ don't buy uh Easton Access buy a Black Eagle generally what I say is I'm a Black Eagle guy but those arrows the, you know the TKOs are a badass arrow with a great component system you know those are going to serve you good I try to get that out in front so people know I'm a Black Eagle guy I'm very good friends with Randy Kits I look at him like a well he's not old enough to be my father but a older brother um and I help him design stuff, and so I mean, hopefully that makes sense to people. But I, but I, but I am taking some money from Black Eagle right now, and I, I don't have any issue telling people that.
1: And how much is Bob Lee paying you to promote this new bill?
0: <laughs> Nothing. They gave me a hat. So that
1: you got a hat. I got a hat from Safari Tough, so I'm I'm pro staff for Safari Tough right now. Everybody should know that.
0: Yeah, um, I but- I was very clear with Bob Lee on this. Um, You know, Jenny was honest. She called and she said, Aaron, you're going to make us you know, money if you shoot this bow. And, and, you know, I was helping him out with, she had some questions on social media and I'm like, look, Jenny, I just want a bow I can shoot. You don't need to give me anything. Um, They're not asking me to design. They're not asking me to, you know, they're not asking me to take any time out of my day of large quantities away from my business and my family, which is where kind of the rubber meets the road for me, not an aggressive way, but meaning, okay, I don't mind helping, you know, a couple hours a week compared to 20 hours a week. There's a big difference. So, yeah. Bobby is not paying me and they're not ever going to pay me. I'm not going to take any money from them. I just like the bow and I like it's not blowing up. Those are two very key things and I can hit what I'm aiming at. So, that's a victory. That's a payment enough and free hats. There you
1: go. So, it's it's good to clear that up cuz you you leave a lot on the table and not take money. I spend a ton of my personal well, money. Lem- let me yeah, rewind this
0: real quick for yeah. both you and I. If you would like to get sued very quickly for defamation of character, it is very easy for me to produce what is you know, known as tax paperwork to prove that I did not get paid what you are saying or any money at all. So meaning if you're Joe Smith and you're running around saying, don't listen to Aaron, he's getting paid X amount of money. I can fucking sue you for that, and I'm going to start. And it takes a quick printout of my tax returns, as well as Bob Lee, Black Widow, Hoyt, and then you are going to court for defamation of character and slander because you are talking out your ass. That is very provable. Now, if you said Cody Greenwood's a dipshit. (laughs) <laughs> I'm getting heated God up.
1: Goddamn Burger Punk. I feel like we're
0: in the,
1: in the movie. <laughs> easy <Yeah. laughs> yeah, Rod. His, easy Rod.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't want to leader of cola. If you say Cody Greenwood's kind of a dipshit and Eric can be kind of an asshole. Yeah, can't sue you for that. Probably some yeah. probably some truth to that. Again.
1: Pretty valid judgment of character. That's
0: good. Yeah, exactly. So, But I'm just telling people when you start, and this isn't just about me or Cody. That is going to be, I can tell you for a fact, starting to get cracked down on a lot more in the industry because Gritty tried to do it with me and Donnie Vincent. Uh, You know, said, Oh, Aaron pays Donnie 50 grand a year. It literally took uh, Donnie and I about 10 minutes to produce the paperwork to a lawyer to show that what Brian was saying was far from the truth, which is now slander and defamation of character. So if you're going to spread large rumors, you might want to fact check uh, or make a phone call because you can get sued very easily for that. So go ahead.
1: No, I don't think I can add to that burning pile, but it it is uh, a pain because we spend a lot of money and time to be unbiased. And it's very difficult to do. And it's just to grow the community and help help retain people so um not um not something entertain. i entertain i i'm moving to youtube to allow the ability for me to go live and do live q a so if you have a string maker that says what i say is not true or you have a bowyer that says what i say is not true i'm, I'm willing to go live have everybody come on and, and run the test in person and even take structural design changes in my testing um into consideration so yeah. it's uh, it's going to that big move is to help me kind of invalidate some of the people that don't like my results and say that I'm doing it incorrectly. Now I can do it. I can run these tests in front of folks. And hopefully get more validation, but there's no motivation. And, and even if we were going to get paid, traditional archery is the worst business case in the world. to Dive into for this type of work because there's no damn money. here.
0: I, I probably should have calmed down a little bit on my spiel. I, I'm apologizing to people listening in, but wow. uh, it is starting to affect you me know, more than I'd like because I, I am losing a lot of money by not taking a lot of endorsement contract, contacts that I could to try to remain pretty true to help people. Um, and, and so when I hear, and you hear it a lot, you know, about me or whatever that don't listen because he gets paid from this company or this company. Do you really think a company, what, Hoyt would pay me to shoot a riser and not their limb? That didn't even make any sense. Like. No. And then, how much money is it, are, are these companies making? Right, like I know Three Rivers pays some people. Um, from what I understand, I say I know. I'm pretty sure they for for promotion answering questions. I don't think that that's a bad thing. It's a pain in the ass to answer questions all day online, and if they can have people help them out to do that, I don't I don't have any issue with that. But but I'm not that I'm not doing that, um, and neither is Cody, Ooh. and so don't you know don't don't you know lump us in a box i mean by all means if you have a question ask me i'll i have no issue telling you the truth if someone's paying me or not or and, i'm designing something or whatever
1: and it's important to, to look at if you're online and people are telling you uh brand A is a great bow go look at their facebook profile or their instagram are they pro shooters because there are brands that have 15 to 20 pro shooters for the price of a free bow. they're willing to go online every day and talk about how great that bow is and um I've actually posted negative comments about a company and got jumped by 13 people. So I just started screenshotting their profile and putting it right behind their comments and that shut them all down because they're all being paid to share a false opinion. So it's really easy to see who's sponsored by who. Um, I, I think it's a um, little bit of common sense and you can kind of wade through the nonsense, but that's it. So it's th- this layout is as genuine as they come. Um, I'm really passionate about traditional archery. I'm, I'm really, really proud of some of the, the bowyers out there. I forgot to mention Liberty bows because I, I got flack last time we did this because I, they said these bowyers that are doing it by hand can't, can't compete with CNC machines. You have Liberty bows, it's done by hand. That fellow went out and cut his own U in the, in the 70s and using it now and he builds a perfect bow on plane and on pillar. So there are some master craftsmen here in our industry that deserve um, the recognition, the hard work that they put together. Father and son team. Those guys work hard. Widow works hard. Uh, you know they, they deserve the recognition that they do get from us. And we don't have. I don't have relationships with any of them. Most of them won't respond to me. Uh, but I have a relationship with the product. And it's, if it's good, I, I try to do what I can to show people that it's good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And we don't need to beat that horse to death. I just, by all means, everybody's got might not everybody. Most people have my phone number. Man, if you have any, ever have any question of like my affiliation with the company or where I sit. Um, I, I know Gritty for a while tried to say I was paid by Primus and MSR for promoting their stoves, not a jet boil. Two stove companies aren't going to pay me to use a stove. There's not enough juice in that to even make sense. So a lot of that, again, is is slander, defamation of character. and, And by definition, you know, saying something untrue about someone can get you in trouble pretty quick, especially when that someone owns a multimillion dollar business. So keep in mind that, you know, before you get yourself in trouble, no, I have no issue with answering any questions people have. So on that note, um,
1: you you do tend to be biased when it comes to backpacks and tents. I'm going to be honest with you. You seem seem to have a bias. Well,
0: and that's funny with that, because I don't get paid from Hilleberg and, and I, and I make shelters at Cafaro. That should tell you something. Hilleberg doesn't pay anyone, but I believe that is the best tent on the market. So that's what I promote. And they're a competitor, quote unquote. So, yeah, but I am, I am definitely biased towards backpacks, I would say, and tents. So, <laughs> yeah, don't listen to me on that one. Um, I think that, uh, you know, talking about, like, with that Bob Lee, I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I think it's a game-changing bow. Um, you know, the some of the, um, the details behind it, uh, Jake um, was friends with Brian Broderick. Brian Broderick and uh, the guy from Bushman Bows had come up with the technology for a very uh, a, a much more curved, uh, super curved limb for the Spartan bow. But the Spartan guy makes a very long a long bow, a very beautiful bow, extremely fast. Um, uh, Broderick had that technology that 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 uh, Steve uh, Jewett it with Bushman bows and Broderick had had worked on for quite a while and Broderick was able to take some of that technology, help um Bob Lee or Rob Lee out they, they, took, let, they took the curvature out of it. It's not really anything like the, the Bushman bow limb, but some of the technology's there. So Broderick and Jake kinda um, got that together, got it to Bob Lee, uh, Bob Lee or, or Rob Lee, uh, kinda reinvented the wheel, they changed the molds, it wasn't a super, tried to pick a happy medium. And that's where that limb uh, came from. And I, I know uh, both Steve Jewett and, and uh, Broderick had a lot of time and, and money and effort into that limb. And they just took parts and pieces of that to make the uh, I mean, again, the limb is nothing like what's on a Bushman bow, but some of the technology was there. And so they they made it less curved, um, I believe, much more stable um, and a much better all around limb than than what Bob Lee was offering. And and, and honestly, what um, you can find on the market, they were very smart with the design. So just so people know where that limb came from.
1: I'm looking forward to getting that in the lab and testing it. You, t- you did test the hardcore model, right?
0: I did, yeah. Um,
1: so it has the heavier takedown system in it?
0: That's correct, with the stable lock. Yeah. So. I,
1: I tested one Lee and it had that. It was Blake's bow that I stole after IBO Worlds for a weekend before I shipped it back. And man, I tell you, that, the weight I don't know if they did this by design or it's a happy accident, but the weight you get from that takedown system is in the right spot for that riser.
0: Putting yeah, it on, up in the limbs yeah, limb yeah pockets. And it,
1: it, it really it's worthwhile and i don't think they i look at their website and they don't really pitch it as a shootability factor but it i can't imagine that it's not so i'm looking forward to getting my hands on that though and testing it and going through it with them and happy to see that they're uh, they're proud of it and not scared to, to run it through the paces
0: yeah, I mean, I told them, I said, hell, at this point, if I blow up a limb every two years, it'd be a fucking victory. Um, so I'm <laughs> making jokes. Obviously, I'm not <laughs> expecting to do that. But um, I haven't had the best luck with, with, um, with, with, with limbs and risers and things like that. So uh, the fact that there is, uh, you know, it's all fake wood, uh, phenolic or, or micarta or whatever, the riser, um, was a benefit to me. I will say I came through solid on the paint job. With the, uh, the wood accent and how I painted the limb. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw it. I, yeah. you're, you weren't impre- you're not impressed at all with well, that paint job? I can barely geez, read and write. That's a good job for rattle, me.
1: You r- yeah, you rattle me a beautiful bow, but that's, you did good.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not, is the deer going to be looking up at me and be like, fuck, that's a pretty bow. No. He's going to be like, man, that black limb shines, so I painted it.
1: You and, you and Denny. Denny will take a beautiful PL and spray paint the damn thing. But uh, yeah, it's, it's all right. I'm, I'm going to, I get mine built. will be an Osage.
0: You know what? I'll, I'll, if a deer does look up or, or a sheep or a goat this year and be like, man, those limbs were prettier before I <laughs> will let you know, but I, I don't think they're going to. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh God.
1: Um, I can't believe you're going to take time to brag on your rattle can. <laughs>
0: that's an awesome I get a lot, I, do That's one of the most asked about questions I get is how do I paint it? And by the way, it's, three colors, three rattle can, Rust-Oleum, spray paint, nothing crazy, neutral colors. I have a a stencil that's kind of a tiger stripe uh, micro stencil that I get off Amazon. I spray one solid base coat on the limb, wait 15, 20 minutes, let it dry. Then I go um, basically teed off where the tiger stripes are going across. I go with that color next and then let it dry. And then I angle a little bit to go with a different pattern with the third color. And I hit it again. It's that simple. There's nothing magical about rattle canning a bow other than a little patience and, and a stencil.
1: I've, yeah, I rattle can metal bows, but I can't imagine. it. So for the folks at Bob Lee, mine just needs to be Osage, my order. Osage with some sort of green element, and I won't face your bow, I promise. But, um, <clears throat> you did a great job. <laughs> bow. Congratulations. Uh, shit. Like a 12-year-old. Like
0: a 12-year-old this BMX bike. Yeah, no, it can have been in a little whatever, the uh, clothesline clip and the card, so it sounds like a good engine. Um, there you go. So, all right, so now with the bows, I think we talked about enough about Bob Lee, but everybody, that's one I think people should check out looking for a custom bow. But now let's talk about uh, broadheads a little bit. Uh, we're mm-hmm. hitting an hour and 15, so we got another 15, before We should cut this off. and I need to pee, why don't you go into what you're testing and how you're testing it on the lab side of things? And when you sent me the last text that said shit, we'll talk about that in a little bit more depth when I, when I get back, but go ahead and kind of go over what you, what you've been doing. All
1: right. So the, the sampling tree that I've put together on, on broadheads is testing edge retention out of the box, then bringing the edge of each one of these models to a very specific level of quality and testing it again, and then maxing out the edge quality of every broadhead and testing it again. Um, <clears throat> on my YouTube channel, there, in the first two minutes of the video, of a sharpening video, I show how I do that in the media that I use. There's a little standardized strand there. You don't have to endure the whole sharpening video to, <clears throat> to see that, but you can see how I'm testing those broadheads and getting edge to a specific level and testing it at each level of sharpness. I'm doing that to isolate shutness as a factor because that's kind of what you're paying for when you get into the high-end heads. I'm pushing it. There's no perfect test. In my world, I run a lot of BOEs. I cannot run a test in my lab that's going to mimic an animal moving and rolling on impact. So my approach in the sampling strategy is to test across 15 to 20 different medias and to compare the results across different medias, whether it be wet newspaper, whether it be styrofoam, on my story, you saw me post a picture of, of pushing them through styrofoam and getting the amount of push force to go through there. Or if I'm going through um, five-gallon buckets into a softer material, I have another test where I have uh, a rolled-up carpet over a softer material that's hanging from the ceiling that gives when you hit it, and I can compare penetration there. Um, I have one media that's on springs, so it gives, and then I'll test at different angles. But that's basically the sampling strategy and in the end what you'll see is the effect of each model being each shape at three different edge levels on angled shots straight shots and across about 15 different types of material and the only thing that you can assume is that if we're seeing signals across all those different types of material whether it be static moving angled straight at three different levels of sharpness and we see a constant signal from one or two brands we should be able to infer from my study that that will apply to animals. Because I've, I started recording my data last year, I have 14 clean data points. I can tell you right now, this is what I do for a living. I would need tens, I would need five to tens of thousands of data points to be able to see clear signals that I could say, with fact in a courtroom, this bevel is better than this bevel. Right. I, I personally, uh, the only thing that I can glean from the 14 data points that I have. Uh, It's pretty simple. It sounds like common sense when I say it out loud. Whenever you hit an animal where it's supposed to be, it's going to fall usually within 75 yards if you hit it where it needs to be. If it has an arrow hanging out of it when it runs off despite where you hit it, unless it's a CNS hit, it's going to run about one-third longer. Those are the only two signals that I can see. Um, I guess the third is the best penetration I had was on a buffalo, giant animal that doesn't jump. The worst penetration I had was seven yards away, antelope. So smaller animals that twist and turn give completely different results than heavy, uh, flat-footed animals. Uh, but in the lab, that's the sampling structure, and I've been working on that for about eight months now. And what I'm posting on my story now is just some of the edge uh, retention and edge force uh, sampling that I'm doing. And as a, the final test will be bringing all of these up to a max edge and seeing how long they can take cuts before they drop to a specific low dull point which will be you know where it can't shave are you back yet aaron
0: yep i'm back um everything you're hitting would be what i'm saying anyway so i think we're we're good so far
1: that's the that's the sampling strategy and i'll be i'm gonna try to break that up into multiple segments Uh, i'm still learning the effectiveness of youtube and it's in my nature to just put up a four-hour video but i realize nobody will watch that so I have to try to figure out how to break this into sections and put it up there. So it'll be meaningful
0: to folks. Everybody can thank me for that. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I was just telling them, dude, you can't, you can't post what works in your brain Cody cause your brain works and they're different than everyone yeah. else's. Yeah.
1: My, my first sharpening video was two hours and 11 minutes long. <laughs> it's like nobody's, nobody's going to watch
0: it. Oh shit. Um, well the one thing, uh, you know, I caught in there, uh, towards, towards the end was, um, when you're talking about moving animals, larger animals, you know, the different effects, um, one of the things, and 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 I don't want to go into great depth with the Ashby study, because I think what Ashby did at the time was correct, and I think the majority of what he um, talks about, I agree with, meaning good components, good aeroflight, flight, things of that nature. When you start getting into three to three to one ratio broadheads, I haven't found mm-hmm. that that is a a massive difference. Um, the single bevel, the bone breaking six fifty. Uh, that's another thing I don't think people should really worry about. Um, I'm not saying don't shoot a heavy arrow and don't shoot a, a, a decent weight arrow and a decent point weight, but I can tell you the systems that I have tuned out with 300 grains up front, and I have shot that, which is hitting pretty high FOC, uh, was for a point-on and a tune perspective, meaning it gave me the point-on and the tune I wanted. It is much more difficult to to, to tune an extreme... Um, Uh, a higher or extreme foc arrow uh the current setup i have right now is 245 grains up front component and broadhead um tuned extremely quick uh much easier and you don't have as much as a noodling effect where your arrows paradoxing or noodling all the way down the range to 20 yards before it straightens out they straighten out about five to eh, yeah 15 feet 10 feet my arrows pretty much um well you can see them in the slow-mo videos i'm not paradoxing forever so uh, again, I don't know about
1: that, Aaron. I mean, we were shooting paper at three feet, and he had bullet holes. So how does that hold water?
0: Uh, which part? I mean, we
1: sat right here in the lab, and we were shooting at paper that was three feet from your bow hand, mm-hmm. and he had, you know, by the time we were done, you had nearly a bullet hole. Yeah. How? how what is? You thought going to give you like that oh, arrow stable at three feet if you a damn bullet hole. Like, that's what opened my eyes
0: I thought you were talking about with yeah I thought you were going the other way with that one I was gonna be like I don't know dude we just talked about it. Oh, yeah so I with it the, the, the idea with EFOC, um, which is uh, extreme front of center is the whole tying a string around a rock and the rock guides the string the, the string doesn't guide the rock and and I, and I get some of that and, and again I think for people it's Everything's kind of in moderation. I think a good arrow weight, a good point weight, and good arrow flight is the key to victory. Uh, I don't think 650 grain arrow is out of the question, depending upon your setup. Um, I just, when I shot, I never got to 650. I think, or no, I did. I actually set up one. I didn't see any difference going through animals, you know, zipping through, zipping through. The one thing I have found is is uh, bone breaking penetration doesn't mean lethality. It means you broke the bone and the arrow stopped and you still didn't get to the lung. Now, I'm not talking about hunting Cape Buffalo. Yes, you need a heavy arrow. The the, the ribs are overlapped. But in North America, I will go hunt anything in North America right now without blinking an eye with a 589 grain arrow. And, and I have actually killed most of them. No problem. So I don't want people, I'm not bashing the Ashby Foundation at all. I I hold Ed Ashby in very high regard. What I'm saying is at that time he was shooting a longbow at dead animals, right? The, The testing was done with dead shit hanging. Okay. So now, when you, especially when you look at a compound or some of the higher performance limbs, you don't need the 650 to 800 grain arrow because technology has catapulted us forward to where your lower weight arrow will still get a high amount of momentum. Now, I don't want to go too much more in depth into this, but when you shoot an animal that rockets out in his shoulders, the right shoulder goes forward, the left shoulder goes back as your arrow hits... That's a momentum killer, and I don't care what you're shooting. That 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 changes a lot of things, um, and so there's a lot of other variables. But I think technology has changed. But I, arrow flight is key. Good components are key. I I don't think anybody could argue with that. A good weighted arrow is key, and a decent point weight is key. Anytime you start going into extremes, I think you're a bit foolish. I don't I don't think it's a great idea. And you've had people bring it up to you, to basically say I was full of shit because at the time I was shooting a 300 grain system up front haven't you
1: yeah yeah i mean you because you don't shoot like foc right mm-hmm. you need to give percentages i think that would help people understand what you mean by
0: well and i don't ever check them as the problem so right now oh, well, um <laughs> write shit down no i don't check my foc i don't give a shit i just tune the bow that's the key right noise speed arrow flight decent decent weight i mean that's the key and if that tunes out it 275 or 225 or 325 that's just where it ends up at i don't focus on crazy so foc so
1: i don't think you've ever to my knowledge and obviously i obviously haven't measured every arrow you have, but to my knowledge i don't think i've ever seen you run over 21
0: i did and, i did once just to test it okay yep so um you know if you
1: find the right paper you'll see eastern engineers recommend 16 um i've got an analysis that i'll eventually put on youtube but you're gonna find somewhere a sweet spot between that. Mine was eighteen percent, that's what I was landing on. And I don't care what anybody says. I'm, Anything I'm, over twenty one percent becomes no I mean very difficult for me to get. Maybe I'm different, but I can shoot bullet holes three foot away all day long. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent
0: agreement it. with you. And Dudley and I have talked about this. I've talked about it with a lot of people. I think in that uh thirteen percent for a, a compound is fine because of technology unless you get into the far spectrums of you know really short draws or whatever. And I think with hunting, eighteen to nineteen percent is money, uh for, for a stick yeah. bow. Um and that's generally, you know, a thirty inch arrow with two twenty five to two fifty up front. That's gonna get you right around eighteen. Now God forbid you talk to anyone that has actually killed a few hundred animals with a stick bow. I want you to go listen to the guy that shot a doe on Heavy Momentum Facebook page, because that's the guy you need to listen to, because uh, he knows a lot. Don't listen to the dudes putting tons of animals down. They don't know anything, because if you ask a Jake Downs, a Randy Cooling, a South Cox, they're pretty much all going to tell you, not sure what my FOC is, but I got 250 up front, or in Randy's case, 195. Uh, you know. And again, Jake, he's at 225 up front. Do you see any of us wanting for, you know, more penetration? No, you, you don't. So don't get caught up in that. I'll shut up now. Go ahead.
1: No, I think it's a good point. because You can spend a lot of money chasing that. And the best, the best business case, not business case, the best benchmark that we have is Denny's wife. She's out there shooting very large animals with very light poundage because she's shooting perfectly tuned arrows. And she's uh, not running extreme FOCs and um, you know wild 700, 800 grain arrows. And it's just a perfect tune, and quite frankly, she probably has the
0: mentality and the shot for it. Uh, go ahead, though, finish up what you're talking about with the broadheads.
1: So with the broadheads, what, what it's basically going to break down into, I don't know the actual results yet. I'm still getting new results that are going to make me restructure the test until I land on something that can kind of hold on its own. Um, it'll, it'll look at edge quality as a factor. It will look at feral, how thick that feral is or how tapered that feral is. I think is really going to start jumping out at us and it'll look at edge retention. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to do a lot of uh, reliability testing in terms of what bends and what breaks, because uh, that's something you can do, uh, you know, at, in your backyard. And I don't know that shooting at bricks teaches us anything about shooting at animals. The, the one thing that I've, would recommend is that I'm going into a lot of detail on a broadhead analysis. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, it's because that's what people are interested in. Um, people are more likely to drill into broadheads and geek out on them than they are tuning, right? Or fletching. And, and I said this, whenever I released the fletching study on the push, I I've studied the entire arrow and I believe broadhead is one of the least important factors of the arrow. Uh, that's the opposite of the current average opinion, but if your broadhead holds together and maintains an edge, that's really its only job. And uh, It's not very, not very difficult. The arrow needs to be stiff enough not to bend on impact or break and you know, your fletching needs to stabilize it. And each portion of your arrow has a job and getting it to the right spot and having it hit at a straight angle versus you know sideways is, is really a lot more important than anything that we're going to talk about in the broadhead analysis. But that's what people want to talk about. So I'll be breaking that, da- that down into penetration across different mediums, and we'll see what stands out above the crowd. I know right now, if you're just looking at wood arrows and glue-ons, it's pretty darn simple because you were out there with me in Texas last year. Almost everything I shot off, heavy wood arrows folded up or broke, except for you know, glue-on cutthroats. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the glue-on space. I'm going to spend most of my time in uh, the screw-on broadhead uh, space and testing all of those, and I'll throw in more than likely some co- like I ran a uh, some some expandables through that same test last night. Of course, it's just ridiculous the force that it, that it takes. But um, hopefully, we'll have that out soon.
0: Gotcha. So with with broadheads, and this was brought up to me a uh, question on the Stickbow Chronicles, and I'm going to give kind of a blueprinted a uh, real quick answer for for the question that we had which is you know you know what's the best what's the difference that kind of a thing you know to to me you've got three basic categories you've got the uh, the kind of the mid-road high-end area, and that would be your cutthroat three-blade, your VPA, uh, broadheads like that. You've got the lower end, which is gonna be a Magnus Black Hornet, a Magnus Stinger, and then you've got the ultra-high-end, which is the Iron Will or uh, the Valkyrie. Um, and there's others, right? I'm just, so people, like this year, I'm shooting, without a doubt, the Will and the Rocky Mountain 3 blade. That's my system for everything I'm going after. And I've got some cheaper broadheads, other ones I'm testing like always. And my, my point to guys is if you can't afford a really good broadhead, a Magnus Black Hornet is not a bad option. It's not a durable broadhead and it's not one that's gonna stay sharp for a long period of time, but it's better than staying at home because you don't have broadheads. So of course that's a decent option. Your best all around for the budget, I think, is a Rocky Mountain 3-Blade, uh, a Cutthroat or a Cutthroat 3-Blade. The, the Cutthroat 3-Blade and the Cutthroat something like that is good for the money, not horribly expensive. And then I think the best broadhead is the Iron Will. Um, how much of a difference is there between an Iron Will and a Zwicky? Well, one is going to be the the durability. An Iron Will is going to be um, you know more durable, what what about a cutthroat three blade or a cutthroat in Zwicky? Well, there's gonna be more durable and they're easier to sharpen. Is penetration going to be different? Probably not if the iron, or excuse me, if the Zwicky is sharpened correctly. Now, after the first hole in the animal, it's probably gonna need to be sharpened quicker than other ones, but there's gotta be like a happy medium and a reason, meaning if you're going on a once in a lifetime hunt, yeah, shoot a cutthroat three blade or an iron will or something. Um, you know, if you're shooting hogs and turkeys and crap or, or white, even whitetails a uh, Zwicky is going to be fine, but you, you have to, you got to be able to sharpen. Right. And why don't you talk about that? What's the time frame of shooting, uh, a cutthroat three blade or a, or a cutthroat two blade or an iron will out of the package compared to a zwicky out of the package?
1: Well, I mean, you can pick up an iron will right out of the package. It's, it's, it's razor sharp and ready to go. Um, if you pick up a Zwicky out of the package, um, I am, uh, now you have to remember I sharpen a lot of broadhead and I hate sharpening broadheads, but I do it because of this task. So I have stones that are really good stones, that cut really fast. I can get, I can get through some Zwickies in about an hour, hour and a half. That process used to take me no kidding around two and a half, three hours to get a pack of Zwickys. When I say pack, I'd get a dozen Zwickys razor sharp. Um, now For a dozen, it's going to take me about an hour and a half, two hours. So you're going to have to put, and that's with really good stones. You're going to have to put a lot of elbow grease in there. Um, I reshape the tips on a lot of my single bevels because they're really blunt. They require a lot of push force. So it takes me a little bit more time, but iron wheel right out of the box, you're going to be able to shave your face with it and um, you're going to be able to go hunt with it. Having said that, in a year, you set that iron wheel down, you need to have the ability to touch that up because it's going to... All broadheads, if you leave them sit, will have microscopic corrosion on there that will dull it. And you just need to be able to strop that out. So you're going to have to learn how to sharpen. It's part of traditional archery because we don't have a lot of replacement blades that we can use at an affordable price. But, um, you know, it's—Aaron, would you stand there and let anyone shoot you with his wicket at 20 yards?
0: Uh, No. Dole? Probably. No, I'm just kidding. No, I wouldn't.
1: No. I mean, and, that's, and that's how you
0: end the debate with these people
1: that are on there's – some, there's some Facebook groups where they obsess over this and honestly, just um, ask them that question. Let them pick the world's worst broadhead and ask them if they'll take the hit at 20 yards and most of them will turn you down. And all of these can be lethal. The broadhead doesn't take the animal, it's you holding your mental – what's the way to say it? You holding your mud during the moment of truth that, that takes the animal. You need to have a sharp broadhead. And uh, it needs to be sharp from front to back and not have sweet spots. That was one of my findings in this analysis where I had to start the entire test over because there were parts of my broadhead, mainly in the middle, that were sharper than the ends and skewed my results and to start everything over. Get it sharp from front to back. Uh, make sure it flies true. Make sure it doesn't change your sight picture. Make sure your tune hasn't changed. Get it razor sharp again and go to work. But it's, it's really more about what's between your ears and, and your form than, than the broadhead. But, you know, I said this to you. When you were here last week, you can't monetize effort, and that's why nobody really talks about that.
0: Right, and I mean, with with what? Uh, just so you know, Cody's uh, not taken out of context. He's not saying that his wiki is as good as other broadheads. What he's saying is it'll do the job, and if you learn to sharpen, you'll be fine with it. And you know, there again, you watch Fred Bear videos; those things, you know, the Bear Razorheads not exactly the pinnacle of performance of today's standards, but they were getting it done. But if you want to have the best tool in the toolbox, I get that, but you're still, you know, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that I wouldn't be able to go kill the exact same amount of animals with a Magnus black Hornet that I would with the Rocky mountain, three blade cutthroat, whatever, or an iron will. I'm just going to be happier doing it with the other ones. I'm going to be more comfortable.
1: And it's marginal utility, right? If you've worked your whole life, and you've now made it, uh, you're making a decent income and you can afford top line broadheads, there's absolutely no reason why you should not have iron wheels or top line broadheads in your quiver. There's absolutely no quantifiable reason why you can't, if you don't have the money, there's absolutely no reason why you should not go hunting with what you can afford. But it's, and I think that's where we get hung up. There are guys that can't imagine spending that much on broadheads and there are guys that make more money that it's not that big of a deal. And we're all at different points in our life. We've all made different life choices. And I think that's why you get so much conflict. And this is
0: why I try to let people know I would be using the same shit I'm using now, whether I got it free or not. Meaning in the position I'm in or or when I was working construction, I'd purchase some iron wheels. I'd purchase some Rocky Mountain three blades or cutthroats and I'd purchase some uh, Magnus Black Hornets, something like that. Why? Well, When I'm going to shoot uh, an elk or a mountain goat or something, I'm probably going to have an iron whale or a cutthroat on there. When I'm going to shoot turkeys and pigs or whitetail, eh, black horn is probably okay if I go on a coal hunt. You know, if I had to pick one for best all around for money and everything else, and I would be curious to get your opinion on this, it would be more of a cutthroat three blade or cutthroat because not as expensive, high quality, right? I can sharpen them. Um, Unlimited budget. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to buy, it's going to be an, an iron will. Um, I don't know that anybody could really argue that unless they have their own shit to in their system. They were held too much of a child or something. Like, would you rather have my Ford Raptor, Shelby Ford Raptor, or a Daewoo? You're a fucking liar if you say Daewoo. It will right. get you to work. But can everybody afford a Raptor? I, it's, I just was able to afford it myself. I've never had a new car in my life. So I'm at a place I can buy this now. It's no different than gear. Now you can say, oh, that's stupid. I'm going to keep driving my $300,000 Tacoma or 300,000 mile Tacoma. I get that. That's where I was at. But now I can afford a nicer vehicle and I got it. Right. That doesn't mean I'm going to pick a 1985 Tacoma or a Toyota over the Raptor. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's it's, it's just, I think it's just people get frustrated because they can't imagine that spending that much money and they'll talk a little bit of trash and make fun of the guys that can, but and, you know, I, I interviewed Colton as well. Colton hunts a lot, and I heard him on your podcast. Colton's never sharpened an iron well. And he said that when I interviewed him, and I'll have him on my YouTube channel. It was a great interview. So are they harder to sharpen? What makes them harder to Not if you have good stones. They have more bevels to sharpen. They have one, two, three, four, five. Five unique bevels you have to sharpen plus blears. Um, but if you have good stones, you can sharpen those things. Um, and if you have the money, buy the best stuff you can get. If you can't afford it, don't worry about it, buy what you can't afford. But, um, it's, we spend a lot of time going back and forth on this because people get butt hurt and people make fun of Sitka gear. Right. But last year in Kansas, when it was cold and wet, I watched the guys making fun of Sitka gear get in their truck and leave at 10 o'clock in the morning. Right. Cause it was, it started sleeting on us and, uh, it it's, I am I'm, I'm older. I've worked very hard my whole life while I was working hard. I didn't get to have a lot and now I'm going to be warm so it's just that that's the difference right i'm willing to pay that money for that year same thing for broadheads um the toughest shot i made last year aaron you were there for it It was a steep angle on an aldad scapula and it blew through the scapula right at what 23 yards
0: yeah something and that like was that a, yeah.
1: that, w- that was an angled shot maybe 20 yards I'm, since i'm a shooter it was like 60 yards crosswind 23 miles an hour <laughs> but uh, It was 19 to 23 yards, I can't remember what you were saying when we shot but that was a hard angle into the scapula and it blew through that scapula with a star-shaped hole and that's a double-bevel broadhead at the time, 46-pound recurve and that single data point in my brain will draw me an emotional bias to have faith in that head, right, because that's a tough shot on paper, right, an angled scapula. And it didn't skip across the scapula. It blew a star-shaped hole. So um, you're going to have experiences that build your degree of belief. You're going to have experiences that bias you as well. You're going to shoot something in the guts, and you're going to want a wider broadhead. Then you're going to shoot something in the knuckle, and you're going to want a a two-blade. What I recommend to people, if you have a failure on a broadhead, don't give up on it. Ask yourself, if I shot 100 animals, would I see that trend? I just had a guy write me the other day and he said, his B- he shot a doe with a BPA in the tip vent. Well, what happened if you shot a hundred does Is that worth swapping out all your gear? I don't know, but we have really strong emotional ties to broadhead because you make contact with that animal and you're on this emotional high when you're tracking the blood and, um, we make some pretty strong choices based on our experience in that little bit short window. That's, I think that's why it's such a hot topic.
0: No, hundred um. percent. Man, I got to get off the horn here because I got to get on another podcast at nine, which it's nine. So, um, okay, cool. man, give everybody the, your digits for where to get on for YouTube and, and check out what you got going on.
1: All right, I, I usually forget to do that. I'm glad you reminded me. So the YouTube channel is just, it's just simply uh, Trad Lab. If you look up Trad Lab, I'm on there and, and I'll be posting a lot of videos there. Uh, all of my bow test will go straight there. Instead of my website, I'll end up shutting that website down. All my studies will go to YouTube and I'm going to have a section called behind the bow where I have the bowyer come on in and go through if they'll choose to on Instagram. I'm the trad lab. And really all I'll be posting on there is telling you whenever I'm posting videos.
0: Gotcha. Well, cool. Well, man, I appreciate, uh, you, you know, you hopping on here, everybody, what, what Cody's doing, it's great work. Uh, very informational. Uh, so appreciate all the listeners, and I gotta hop off here, so take it easy, man. Take right, it.